This is Thomas DePoe. Hey, this is Melon Bread. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Tonight, the five of us sit down and ask, what kind of madman volunteers for Delta Green? We explore what motivates agents, and the ways in which Delta Green might instill that motivation if needed. But first, we begin by taking a look at Control Group, the collection of starter scenarios released this past April. We actually recorded this segment before our interview with Greg Stolze, but it slipped through the cracks. So if it sounds like we're retreading some ground, that's why. If you haven't already, you can listen to that interview in episode 23. Otherwise, stay tuned. So let's talk about Control Group. It's it's out now for uh, in PDF on DriveThruRPG, and I think I don't know if this was included in the Kickstarter, one of the Kickstarters or not. I, honestly, I'm not sure. Yeah, you had a problem where, um, and you were the only one about figuring out which level of access with the Kickstarter got you what product. Yeah, and like many things, Delta Green, this has kind of changed from what it was originally sold as. Kind of, I mean, not as bad as Night of the Opera did, but still a little bit. This one, I think, for the better. So uh, I know we've had a little bit of a chance to look over it. I some of us have play tested some of these scenarios, um, and we'll just kind of run through them and see what we what we think, what our thoughts are. It's, Maybe we should tell people what Control Group is before we begin. Yeah, originally, uh, and I think in some of the playtests we did, at least I know some of the playtests I ran, each scenario kind of showcased a different uh, thing. One was all skills, one was all sanity, but they kind of threw that out to the end of development. So it really is kind of just, um, it's they still consider an introduction because the way you can kind of do it is you, the first two scenarios are all pre-gens. So you get some interesting looks at the world of Delta Green through Black Sat and Night Visions. And then you're able to kind of either take the characters who survived or take new characters in, into the next two missions. So they, it is still kind of pictures and intro, but it no longer has the handholdy mechanics. And it no longer like hamstrings the first scenario by only letting you use some of the mechanics, which is I think is was a good move on their part. Specifically, the first three scenarios all frame the PCs as not Delta Green agents. You're just uh, in various high-risk jobs that have an unexpected encounter with the supernatural, and potentially that scenario ends with you being recruited by Delta Green, so that in the fourth scenario, if you have any surviving characters from the first three, you can play one of those guys again. Yeah, exactly. Which is a cool mechanic, I think. Yeah, it's a really neat concept. They also all, I mean, because of the way they're run, like, at least the first two for sure can be total party kills pretty pretty realistically. And then you just fire up the next scenario. I'm wishing that, because I, I, I played in um, Black Sat, and I'm reading Night Visions now, and I'm thinking, fuck, I wish I'd play this instead. Because <laughs> Night Visions looks awesome, and I hated Black Sat. Yeah, I think, I think you'd probably like Black Sat better now, because of you're not hamstrung by the hand-holding mechanics, but it is still a little bit funky for someone who's... It's a better introduction than it is a, a, a scenario for a high-level high veteran player. One thing I like about um, Night Visions 2, I'm looking at it now, is that it, 
it like uses plot elements that are like similar to mythos stuff, but it doesn't it doesn't just recycle like an existing concept like oh it's you know a chocho or whatever. It's like its own unique spin on it. They creates a unique creature that fits within that environment, but isn't just something the players are instantly going to recognize if they're familiar. I would one hundred percent be confident running this scenario for a group of experienced players who had played Delta Green before, as well as as an introduction because I think it looks pretty good. Yeah, I think all the scenarios effectively do that. They kind of ping off something vaguely recognizable from established Lovecraft lore, but it doesn't actually work the same way. It just looks kind of similar. Uh, Kevin, do you think there's a, a, a good way for us to break down this this for the viewers, listeners? Yeah, so obviously spoilers ahead. Um, so Black Set is a scenario where you play a bunch of astronauts tasked to go up and do something in space. You have to bring along some, some other folks. Um, and you, uh, deal with some spooky stuff. And I believe it still includes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna double check. I think it still includes one of my favorite and one of Will's favorite, uh, lines in a Delta Green thing. Let me, let me see if I can find it real the quick. The shuttle was not designed to be flown while on fire. The inciting incident for Black Sat is really that you come in for a briefing on the upcoming shuttle flight and suddenly the players are saddled with two NPCs who, are physically just wrecked and have no right going into space. Uh, yeah, so Black Sat is, you know, there is a lot of skill roles. The, the characters are um, kind of better than the average Delta Green agent, which is which is kind of a neat thing to play with, especially if you survive and get recruited in Delta Green and get to go on another adventure. Um, you have some extra high skills to make up for having a pilot a spacecraft, which doesn't really do you any good in any other scenario. Yeah, the thing... The thing about Black Set is it's a very linear, very, I don't want to say railroaded, but it's very much a roller coaster. You're on a straight track with ups and downs to it. And if you've played the Star Chamber and you enjoyed it, you might be okay with that because that's Greg Stolze's whole bag. He's going to give you a very specific experience, and that by necessity means he's cutting off certain other avenues. But you have to be sure you're going to be comfortable with that. Yeah, I think it's a good way to describe it. I mean, it's described, or I've, I know I've described it as a light boat scenario before. Something we talked about a long time ago on the show. You know, you're in a small environment and you just have to deal with each other and whatever the thing is. So your decisions are limited to that. You can't, like, you know, pull the car, pull the space shuttle over and do research or go load up on guns or anything. So you're, you're, you are a little bit hindered there. So I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the new character sheets, which I find quite good. Uh, they reduce the character sheets down to one page, which is really solid. And uh, at least on all the most of the pregens, they give you a really good uh, amount of detail on how your character feels about the other characters. So it really allows you to set up some uh, some points there, which is nice. I think the new sheets are really good for pregens, like we know are included with control group and are going to be included with iconoclasts where there's a lot of background information to kind of show you what your character is like. Uh, I wouldn't really use them for anything besides pregens because if I'm coming up with a character myself, there's a lot of white space I'm not going to use. And the stuff that is important is kind of just minimized. What? So I'm curious, what, do you, like, what is important that you don't have room for? Skills are relegated to a corner of the sheet when they're, like, 90% of the shit I look at when I look at a character sheet. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the current two-page character sheet, I 
for a lot of characters, I barely need that second page. I just need to see my stats and my skills. So to because well, because see- hey, Tom's Tom's fucked up because he doesn't make characters who have like six lines of guns with different lethality ratings and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And even if I do. I don't need a separate box set of boxes for weapons and for gear. I will just do assault rifle, 10% lethality, uh, skill rating. Well, because when are you ever going to shoot it on single shot? I mean, but you can still do that, and you still have all the boxes. No, we're, we're, not say, we're not saying that it's impossible. We're saying that this one is like gives more space to stuff that we care less about. Yeah, it, it, I, my point is it gives it gives more stuff... It gives more space to things that are more important for pregens and less important for a character I'm coming up with myself. So I originally had the same feeling. I was like, oh, this is really cool. But why didn't they put the important stuff on the left? And then I thought for a second and realized that they did. Boom, I guess. Do you want to kill- clarify that? <laughs> Tom got it, I think. Like, you notice about your character and personal details is someone that probably should be more fleshed out in most Delta Green characters because it builds a better character. So I... So I like how they've given it some 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 preference uh, because your stats and skills they're still there, but you really should figure out like what is your dude's deal first. I can understand that, but the way the scenarios here are actually written, at least in the case of Black Sat, it's still very much like they ignore their own advice that if you have a certain amount of skill, you can just get the thing. They still Stolzi still requires you in a lot of cases to just roll for everything. So you are consulting your skills fairly regularly. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about the character sheet a little more in general, uh, but you're not wrong. Yeah, I understand. I'm just saying that the way they write scenarios doesn't necessarily align in my view with that perspective. I'd be curious if we do see that at some point, because I know they're. It looks like they're going to do that going forward with a bunch of their source books. Tom, the other thing that you just made me think of, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but generally isn't the rule of thumb. If you're under stress and there's like a time stress, you should roll for it. Because I feel like in Black Sat, you're always, you're almost always under a time stress because everything is going wrong. So I feel like may- maybe that's the reason why there aren't the defaults in there. I think you're right, Kevin. Uh, when you're in space, yeah, it's stressful. But I'm also thinking of situations where you're just on the ground preparing for the flight and the doctor is giving like a physical exam to somebody and you still have to roll medicine to notice certain things. Or you have to roll human to notice that somebody's lying to you. That's true. And I guess another part of that is that if, if they included skill defaults because they made the pregens, then there's really no reason to have a skill at all. So I guess I can see that. There's a clue in Black Sat, I remember, that uh, you don't have to roll for it if you have like 50% in science mathematics, I think it was. But then none of the pregens actually have science mathematics. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't recall that, but... I wonder if they fixed that. It's something like it's one of the it's when one of the guys attached to the flight starts talking mathematical gobbledygook and you are trying to decipher it. Biology, meteorology, 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 meteorology. Yep. No, no math. <laughs> oh, it's it. Uh, it's like 30. I think it's actually not 50 percent. It's 30 percent. And some of the guys have science physics, so I'd probably let them do it. But still, it's odd. Final, final review, don't like it, um, but I'm colored by a bad first impression, and I'm sure that a lot of the problems I have with it have been fixed. So Night Visions follows uh, 2011 Afghanistan-American soldiers uh, escorting a CIA, I think, um, uh, escorting a, a civilian-ish person to kind of broker a deal with... Yeah, State Department. To broker a deal with a um, kind of out-of-the-way tribe of potential allies. 
Uh, is the CIA, is the State Department agent a player or an NPC? A player. So they tell you to have that's they give good. You the pregens, and someone should be the like the leader of the the fire fire team, and someone should be her. So that that that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, it assumes a minimum. I think it has six pregens. If you only have two, somebody plays the squad leader and somebody plays the diplomat, and then everybody else fills in members of the army squad. Which that that's smart. That's something that we complained about in our playtest of iconoclasts. That yeah, uh, we was any guidance on that. We felt that that certain pregens were more um, kind of vital to the operation than others, and there should have. And plus, if it's, especially if it's the whole if it, the thing is designed with the assumption that you have all six, so that would have been good there. At least in this one, you still like in iconoclasts. You don't necessarily have the other ones, but here the other team is like if you only have three people and you play the fire team leader and the sergeant and the CIA person, state department person, then you still have the other guys like as gunners and stuff. They're just NPCs, too. You know what I mean? You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things I did not um, like about this one, and I might have just missed it, is that I could not find at the beginning a summary of what the adventure is all about, like what's actually happening. Uh, I might just have missed it. Though. Yeah, I think I think you have to read the whole. I think you have to read the whole thing, which is a valid criticism. I mean, I've I've written scenarios that didn't include a good summary at the beginning, but um, I guess it's just because uh, Kevin, you you have expressed this to me that you want in a scenario something that you can pick up and understand in five minutes what it's all about. In a shotgun scenario, yeah, but I'll give a lot more leeway to something that's that's more meaty. It's interesting you mentioned that because I think Black Set does the same thing too. It doesn't mention. At the start, it doesn't explain at the start explicitly what's happening, and I think the subsequent scenarios do do that, where they tell you what the score is pretty quickly. One of the interesting, so there's a couple of, a couple of things I want to call out as things I like in this scenario. Um, one, if if you just play the good soldier, right, and you're like, my job is to escort this person in here, and their job is to make this deal happen, so I'm gonna do whatever it takes. So if you just like partake of the the cannibalistic feast at the end and uh, don't go crazy. You just leave. Mission accomplished. New allies for Delta Green. Everything's good. A happy ending for everyone. Except you ate some folk. So I do like that they give you that as, as an option. Uh, I think, you know what that reminds me of? A little scenario of mine by the name of Big Fat Deep One Wedding, which, like this scenario, is the least interesting if the players do as they're told. You know what it is? It's that scene in the new Far Cry where you can just choose to turn around and walk out of the, the death cult. And then just come back with the ATF later and just kill everybody. Like if you play, if you make the smart play and say we're not going to win this, let's come back with reinforcements. Then the game just ends right there because you made the smart choice. The other thing, if you look at page page, so uh, so page fifty seven. So assuming that things go the way Delta Green normally goes, and you don't want to partake of the the ritual and, and and go you know do things and you fight your way out, it would be really onerous to have to roll for like a hundred enemy soldiers who are all. Like shitty Afghanistani, you know, machine gunners. So what they do is they just kind of abstract it all. So every every round you have a chance to get hit, and you have a chance to dodge a hit based on a bunch of like athletics or drive or whatever. Um, and then if you do get hit, it just these things kind of just happen in order, which is kind of a neat like a neat way to abstract that, but still make it like a cinematic chase scene. It did in the playtest result in a lot of drive checks. But it looks like they've made that a little less onerous with, like, dodge, military science, etc. So, it's a little better. I'd like it better if there were some choices here instead of just die rolls. And you can also roll... I like I like rolling firearms to avoid an attack. Um, that was one that happened when the the guy a guy got out, like, a big mounted gun and was going to shoot at us. So, we rolled firearms, pinned him down, and then he didn't hit us. 
That was a neat way to dodge an attack. Uh, I also I like the fail state where if you all die, you smash cut to some drone pilots who like basically nuke the valley. Here's something that I really really dislike that they did, um, and I like dislike that they eradicated this back into the handler book, a uh, handler book, the agent's handbook. That um, a five five six does d twelve, but a seven point six two now does d twelve plus one. Like I think that's really stupid because it if you if one bullet does more damage than another, then why would you ever use the one that does less damage? Yeah, the thing about that is that a gun like that is supposed to be heavier to carry, I guess, and it has heavier recoil that you need to control in a firefight, but you can't really represent that in an RPG, I guess. Kevin, is that even true that a uh, 7.62 does more hurt than a 5.56? There's also a lot of, there's a lot of body armor. Why did the Ruski switch to 5.45 then? I mean, because that's also pretty effective. But there's also a lot of body armor that will stop a 5.56 round that will not stop a 7.62 round. Let's let, let's be let's be clear let's be clear this is seven this is seven six two by thirty nine not by fifty four. There's there's a lot there and I'm glad we don't have a complex ammo tracking um you know yeah uh, uh, ammo tracking and encumbrance and recoil like this is not Phoenix Command. Um, I agree with you though. Adding the plus one is kind of funky. Yeah, because players always want the one that does more damage. Plus, like the the most in the gaunt is D twelve plus two. No, that's fine because the because. That is already established that a full power rifle cartridge is D12 plus two in this game. That's that's been a rule in this game for a while, and the, a bolt gun doing that is not a problem for me because that's the trade off: is that it's more damage per shot, but it can't auto fire. It's when you put start talking about the FAL and the M14, which get auto fire and they have better damage, so they're just strictly from a, a rules perspective better than a carbine. I do like how the bayonet only does it does D6 damage, but if if you actually attach it to something, it does D8 damage. I mean that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it just it's like what if I attach it to uh to a stick? What if I what if I tape it to my hand? Does it do D eight damage or only when affixed to an M four carbine? Does it do the D eight? Well, it shouldn't. Here's the thing: attaching something to a short barreled rifle is not much better than using your hand because yeah, you don't exactly. get that much reach out of it. Like if you have like a full size rifle, then yeah. But if you're putting it on a carbine, especially um, I don't remember who what, what, who it was who was making fun of this about putting putting a bayonet on a bullpup. How you literally have less reach than just reaching out with your hand? Yeah, I mean that's a super minor gripe. I mean, there's more, there's more to it than reach than reach though, because it's also the weight of the thing. Although, I mean, it's also not that heavy because it's made of plastic. Well, sort of. It's more complicated than that. Wait, 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 wait. The AK is heavier. Does that mean it does more damage to the bayonet too? <laughs> yeah, right. We need a complex system of encumbrance and uh, and uh, weight tracking. Some fun motivations in here. Avenging nine eleven. Finding something you're good at. Dolce is good at character writing. It looks like so. You can make a really interesting, evocative sort of pre-gens. Um, I'm looking at these characters to see what the skill breakdowns are, because you know that we like to hear it, um, the green box growing about um, like character builds and skills and stuff. I'm thinking that my main thing here is that uh, aside from having formal authority over the other characters, the and and I guess having the languages is is good for the the State Department officer because they don't really have much. She doesn't really have much to like to like actually you know defend against this scenario that is a big meat grinder of violence roles so i do think that's a that's a concern that i have about giving a player this character because i i don't like scenarios that give um players i understand that like people you know do enjoy doing like a fish out of water scenario where you have someone who's not suited to the task at hand but if i'm if i'm teaching someone a game i don't want them to get a give somebody a character that feels useless so but i think it's fine because the language skills are useful they go out of their way to make it useful so this character at least serves some purpose well and you're talking about the, the state department one yeah they're also like they're the like they're the main face. So 
like the the, uh, the uh, soldiers are not going to be the ones like making negotiations and doing the talking. They're just there to get you there. That gets into something else that um can sometimes frustrate me about Delta Green is that it feels uh, sometimes like a game where um it's not necessarily like, but like we talk we talk about balance. Balance doesn't matter, but it's a, it's a game where characters have niches, but because they have niches, that means that oftentimes one person gets to play the game while everyone else sits and waits patiently. So in this one, it feels like the soldiers wait patiently while State Department plays the game, and then State Department waits patiently while soldiers play the game. And I understand that that's the cost of having specializations and skills, but I um, am of the opinion that stuff like uh, stuff like that is to be minimized where possible. And I'm I'm gonna flip that to Kevin and say, how did it work when you guys play tested it? Uh, there was a lot of back and forth. I, didn't, I don't think anybody really had any downtime. Okay, that's 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 good to know. That's better than I, especially because like. I mean, at least I leaned into the motivation. Like when when the when we got to the village and like the talking person was talking, I was like, "Hey, did any of these uh, gaff look like they want to get down? Like, I'm gonna go try to find something to get funky with." And then I think Tom's character, uh, Jake's character, had to like try to chase me down and stop me from doing that. It's like we had some fun moments. I think that's part of the reason why the pregens are also written as such like kind of well fleshed out characters. It's not that you're a soldier you're waiting for time to do soldier stuff. It's just, you're a dude in a weird situation and you've got an opinion about what's going on around you. So you're not, yeah, you're not just like a soldier pre-gen. You are the guy from whereversville who is so out of his depth and he just is trying to regain his ground. Yeah, that's better. I think it's interesting because, yeah, you, you hear all these stories about, um, you know, groups of American soldiers in Afghanistan doing stuff like shooting civilians and cutting off their fingers and so on to keep as trophies, like some real blood meridian shit, which is always fun to, to throw that into a Delta Green uh, flavored thing. I'll find the tragedy and write about it. Yeah, that's what Iconoclast, that's that's what Iconoclast is. I mean, you didn't stumble upon that independently of good writing techniques. It's, it's a good writing technique. Yeah, it's something that lots of people like to do commit atrocities this scenario i think is pretty good and i would if uh so far it's probably the one i'm most likely to run out of all four of them um i think it could just as easily be run by characters who are um the, the main thing is i'm wondering if it would be possible to hack it into characters that are are uh are delta green but i don't think it would be as, as interesting the main thing is that make it hard to run with experienced players is that um it's the same thing about reverberations how uh, like, the players already know that if there's, like, oh, this ethnic group is just, you know, whatever, the the, the stories about them worshipping the Mythos God are just legends, the players know that this is Delta Green, and they're not gonna know that it's fucked up, and... Yeah, a Delta Green agent would be much more on edge, and much yeah, more so likely can't, you to, can't, to you shoot can't do first. That. Um, although I do like in Reverberations, I, I, I had this pointed out to me, I think, uh, recently, that in Reverberations, even if you know, if you know the Chocho are evil, that actually sets you up for failure because all the advice that they give you in that scenario is 100% true and 100% helpful. So if you, <laughs> if you think that they're, if you go into the scenario metagaming and thinking that they're evil bastards out to get you, then you'll probably get killed. But if you just pay attention to what they tell you, then you'll not only survive, but be able to destroy the monster. So I think that was clever, but that's a different scenario for another day. And what's nice about Night Visions is it kind of slow rolls you. Like, you, you know, you notice that these people are a little a little weird, and then you notice, like, a weird custom where they, like, they weigh themselves, and, like, maybe they, like, cut off the excess weight. Like, that's weird. Like, whereas, like, a Delta Green character would immediately begin, like, they'd become hyper-aware and be, like, cult, you know, mythos crap. Whereas a soldier wouldn't. They'd just be like, this is weird. I want to get out of here. Did you finish the scenario in one session? Yeah. Uh, I think mo- I think most of us made it out in a mad a mad dash in a technical, 
because uh, we learned the ritual and we had we, we grabbed a Taliban guy and had him shout at the sky to keep the monster away. And then they taught it to us and we were able to get it, to get out of there. And true to my word, I think I let the Taliban guy go. I was like, I told you, you taught me the ritual, I let you go. So get out of here, buddy. Uh, so have any of us played sick again? Next scenario. Jake was in a play test for it. Okay. Yeah, I have not ran it. I'm reading through it now, and it looks a lot better than I thought from the description. Because one of my problems with disease scenarios is that the players just get either they either get they get hyper defensive when they realize it's a disease and they don't do anything, or they just get sick and then die. And this one feels more like um, there's a genuine mystery to be solved. It feels like you you can get sick and it's not the end of the game because if there's a progression but also a cure, and so it feels more like a genuine race against time than just a save or die bullshit kind of effect and i like that uh i dislike that it uses the meta plot around the eldridge because i fucking hate the eldridge i think it sucks but i think that it does a cool job of setting it up in a way that the players can interact with which is one of my original criticisms of why i didn't like that concept so good job there yeah it's like barely connected yeah it's barely connected it's tangential and it uses the good part rather than the bad part which is like the portal to another world rather than the stupid closed time loop thing yeah overall this one is uh, it looks like it's a, a big lift to run because it involves like a vast timeline, lots of NPCs moving around the game world, uh, stuff that happens off screen without the players. Uh, so very like a very big interactive simulated world, which is cool. But you know, first first consequence, it takes work. Second consequence of a big simulated world happening off screen is that um, you can get the kind of VizKid situation where um, there's a risk of just all the interesting stuff happening in the background while the players are doing something else. But I think it's cool. I think there's enough There's enough here. Uh, something that I've t- said that I like about your scenarios, Tom, is that you can kind of go in any direction and you find something interesting. And that's what they did here, I think. Well, thank you. I, I was actually going to agree with you for the opposite reason. It seems like a lot of scenarios in Control Group have kind of a heavier load on the GM than normal just because they're not very open, like because it's a very specific experience every scene has like unique mechanics for it and so you kind of have to know every every dice roll has specific outcomes listed for it uh sometimes as many as four and you have to memorize them that's true about this one because there's something called an infection or like a quarantine disease rating that changes based on how you perform in the scenario and i do like that i think that is really cool that depending on how well you do over the whole scenario that changes the final outcome uh, so this one isn't as bad about it. I just think that is something that occurred to me while reading the previous scenarios. I also enjoy that in this descriptive text on page 107, the NPC refers to the great race as Yiffians because um, they travel through time and space in order to notice your bulge and ask what it is. <laughs> wow, that, that was a deep memetic cut. That's pretty funny. Or just, should I say, ooh, ooh. Um, I am really happy if you go up to page exciting page 76 that I was able to include the real city of Tuba City because it's funny and it made me laugh every time I looked at that map. What is Tuba? Is it? What is it? It's just a funny name. Imagine if you lived. Imagine if you lived in Tuba City. Okay, I'm imagining it. Wait, I can't imagine it because I don't know what Tuba City is is like. What's in it's there? A, it's, a, it's just a funny name for a place to live. You had this joke queued up. You knew about this for months. And you can't even tell me what the town is like? 
I'm, I've never even looked, looked at it. It's just to me, it's just, uh, all the tubas are made there. You very clearly Joe, have looked Joe, at it if you Joe have this tuba. extensive body of lore about it Joe, that it made Joe it tuba. in this scenario. Ironically, the country's greatest clarinet player is from Tuba City. That's pretty cool. See, like that's that's what I'm talking about. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of of what of what um the handout load has been for the new crop of scenarios. Um, I want to say observe observe fact had some uh. It seems like they're leaning heavier on that as time goes on because they've already announced for the Labyrinth and all the books coming from that Kickstarter, they're all getting separate handout and props packages. That's cool. Which is nice. I find handouts very, very fun to play with. I play all my damn games online. I don't have a real life group, so I don't have handouts. I have them in Roll20, but they're mostly just fucking JPEGs. I've heard this was one of like the innovations of Call of Cthulhu. Uh, it was just the idea of scenarios structured as a mystery and also the extensive use of handouts, which hadn't really been done before. I was just going to say, uh, to mimic, I guess, the use of actual in-universe documents like you see in Lovecraftian fiction or just would turn up in a crime investigation. Yeah, I, I wish I had more more time and ability to make detailed handouts. One of the, there's, a, there's a board game called Mythos Tales, which is really just a, a Cthulhu version of some Sherlock Holmes inspector game. But every day, every like map you play on has an associated date, associated newspaper with a bunch of all sorts of stuff in it. So you have this whole newspaper. It talks about like a sale going on and, you know, murder, you know, body found here and, and this person's cakes are making people sick or whatever. And half of the shit is red herrings, but you spend a lot of time kind of pouring over it, being like, what do we think is relevant? Should we check it out? So there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with handouts, and I like, at least in a, in a real-life game, it gives players something to do rather than look at their phones. And to, to go back to Night Visions for a minute, uh, there are certain handouts which specific and specific players, excuse me, are meant to read out to the rest of the group. Uh, the State Department officer has one. I believe the squad leader has one as well. So that's kind of good that it's not just the GM delivering all the exposition. You're getting the players involved in that as well. I'm looking at, uh, speaking of getting the players involved, I'm looking at page 77. There is a discourse in this text presented about um, how to name the disease found in the scenario. And I don't think it's uh, a deep mystery what you call it. Bofa? Uh, yes. Uh, if you want to know my secret shame, um, it's that just because of the way things work, um, almost no two doors are the same size in any of the maps of the of the keyard house. Why is that? Because it's just it's just a it's a pain to use doors that are the exact same size. Oh, okay, by the way, guys, Kevin Kevin made the maps for this scenario pack. Uh, I don't think you said that at any point in this bit video. This video. <laughs> this video. I probably did not. You were correct. Yeah, I did all the mapping for this. Um, so these ha- this ha- even like like the two two doors that open like near each other. Like if you look at the covered porch entry on the the bottom, like they do, different. They're both different sized doors. Like this would be a hellscape to actually live in. <laughs> None of your furniture would fit through anything. It's, it's good. Um, or Marina. Yeah, I'm curious. So I've never never played it, but I know some folks here have strong opinions on it. So I'm curious. If it looks like they fixed some of the issues, you yeah. Had. I'm, so I'm so I'm seeing this side unseen for the first time. This new version. Um, when I used I used to be part of a different R, RPG group, and Will was the one who ran this scenario for us. And uh, back then, my feelings about it was that it was a pretty good scenario for the two people who got to play the game because it's an undercover scenario where not the whole group goes undercover. So basically, the party is spl- was split into one team that got to do all the stuff. And another team, they got to wait patiently for the, their chance to interact with the game world. 
and it had some other problems too like um there were some sections that were very strong like rolling to failure like they basically said make a stealth roll every time you move around in the house um there was just some meta stuff that didn't that didn't really work like they said at the beginning like whoever's got the best disguise skill should go undercover but disguise is a skill that's not very common in delta green um so, but that was fine because, like, you know, it you never have to actually roll it, so it doesn't matter who has the big, big disguise skill. So I'm looking at this scenario now for the first time, um, and I don't. Uh, it's nice that they um, have included uh, Gary Gygax on page 128 as an NPC. I think it's good that they're paying. I mean, I guess this scenario has been in development for a while, so it makes sense that it would have been. You know, they would have done the art for it while the while Big GG was still alive. Um, Don't get me started on Gary Gygax. I'm reading page page 136 now, uh, where it says that the players aren't if the players aren't paying attention because they're um, when three of your five players are not undercover, they may stop paying attention and lose the threat of the game. My solution to that would be to run this scenario for two players. I would not say split the party and have two people play the game and come up with all this other shit to distract the other the other members of the group. I would say make the number of players equal the number of interesting roles. Yeah, but both of those out of both of those like the researcher support roles, like the researcher support role gives you um, the suggestion there is that somebody is like mic'd in with mic'd in with an earpiece and feeding the player inside information that'll make them look good. That's a mechanical benefit. It'd be nice to have. I wouldn't want to give that up. I would. I hate I hate stuff like that where I have to tell other people what to do and I don't get to do it myself. If I wanted to l- listen, I'm, I'm I spend most of my time at work on project management. So me telling other people to do things, but having no power to make them actually do it is a bit too close to home, and I would rather not do it in a, in a game. I would rather be able to do things. But again, I'm reading this for the first time, so I might be just missing stuff that makes it more fun for the um, players who are waiting outside. We have also, I think, determined uh, without a doubt that you are an atypical Delta Green player. Oh yeah? How's that? Do normal Delta Green players like to sit around doing nothing? <laughs> well, I don't think that's, that's implicitly what they tell you not to do, but also... You know, not every character wants to be a lawyer with a gun, and not every character wants to min-max their their skills and whatnot. It's fine that you do that, but it's not the... Well, listen, um, once again, I I feel like I have to keep explaining this. I don't play games based on what other people find fun. I don't don't think you should. So, uh, let's see here. Agents who aren't undercover are almost certain to attempt some or many of the following actions. Even agents who are undercover might want to do it. Um, Remember to keep pacing tight at the player's uh, board, see what you're going to do. Mark on the pamphlets the most suspicious. All right, see here. Searching the house, cold stuff, planting bugs. So the first thing it looks like is you don't have to be undercover. You can still break into the house, sneak around, do stuff. Yeah, true. So that's an option. Uh, Kevin, what do you think of this? Because I've been talking a lot. I mean, I haven't played it. I haven't run it. Um, I probably would run it, but it wouldn't It wouldn't be at the top of my list, but not because I don't like it, just because I already have three or four scenarios that I really like, so I would run those as for new people um so that's not a shot of the scenario i do like the fact that you can kind of take people through and, t- and all the pretense that survive could be thrown into this that could be fun you have like an old astronaut a retired astronaut two guys from afghanistan like a cdc doctor get thrown into this disgusting mess that, that'd be fun tom what do you think mm-hmm. i guess i like it conceptually i still haven't really read the final text very thoroughly Again, I think the start, the part that the that the agents who actually go undercover have is great. I remember one, I remember reading on the Delta Green essay thread that um they that that 
that the people there felt that this scenario was basically unplayable unless one of the characters had a very high biology skill because uh, it turns on some fine-grained mechanics about how the magic spores work. But speaking of which, um, Kevin, if you'll direct your attention to page 152, they explain what Kino is. Do they? Yes. Do they reference my college roommate? They demonstrate that if there was a Venn diagram of your college roommate glyph exposure and spores, <laughs> yeah, exactly. then it would look like this. I like this graphic because this is something that um, I have a lot of trouble with when I'm running scenarios is when I'm writing it down, but also when I'm running it is communicating to the other per guy who might run the scenario someday and to the players, the like fine grained distinctions, no pun intended, talking about spores, if, uh, between um, like, oh, you're exposed to this spell, but not that spell, or like, oh, the magic technology works this way and some consequences are that way and others. I think that's something that you're better off avoiding if you can. But I think this is a much more straightforward way of explaining it. I like that. So that's a good that's a good thing to include in the scenario. That's good. Yeah, that's helpful. I've run into the same problem. Like I know how it works. Watching someone else run it, you're just screaming internally. It's funny, when we were running this, like or we were playing this, um, Will got sick of trying to pronounce the monster's name, so he just started calling it Carl, because that's yeah. what its name is basically. And then okay, I, okay. when I when I read that I was thinking of a certain other character named Carl, you know, like when he uh, Get out of my pool. Yeah. One of the things that Will really liked about this scenario, and I think it's still in here, is that um, you can, at the end, there's a, a if you're still undercover and you go into the basement with the statue, uh, every all the NPCs start licking the statue, and then the, the, the handler is supposed to ask the player characters, hey, do you want to lick the statue? And unless you're, like, you know, brain dead, you'll say, no, I probably don't want to lick the statue. But if you do lick the statue, it says to take the character sheet away from the character and tell them that it's the greatest thing that they've ever tasted. And I'm hoping that that's still in here. Um, but I'd also like that um, because the creature is a blood drink of drink of creature, um, this is a much better execution of the Death Awakens the Sleeper concept that was originally presented in Caligati. Because in Caligati, it was a cool concept, but it was also kind of meaningless because you were basically guaranteed to kill somebody or someone was guaranteed to kill themselves and awaken it, so it was a cool puzzle that was kind of squandered by not really having much of an option other than to go straight through it. But with this one, uh, the creature's a blood-drinking creature, so if you shoot some people, or even if you just cut yourself coming in on, like, the sharp glass and so on, you can uh, inadvertently give it power by spilling blood. Another thing that I like about this scenario is that it includes a little um, dissertation on a Majestic 12 adventure, that took place when they fought a monster similar to Carnegie Carl because they, uh, it was like, you know, antagonizing them when it came out of a cliff and then they shot it with a rocket launcher and it died, sort of. I do like the idea that, like, if you fail in the other scenarios in this book, it, like, either the problem is solved for you, like, you know, the drones take out the, the valley or whatever. But if you kind of fail here, I can imagine your characters being like, well, we tried, and Double Green being like, you gotta wait. You, you ain't done. Find out where you went. Go chase him down and kill it. I, I think that um, the best part of this is that, like, it gets into a truck and then it, like, tells the servants to take it to a slaughterhouse so it can just drink all the blood that it can find. But it also needs this, like, bullshit gasoline additive that it can't find anywhere. And so it has to get, it has to, like, like um, use its sorcery to enslave a chemist so they can make it for it. But um, it is, the downside is that that does require the GM to, like, track not only Carnegie Carl's blood points, but also his his MBT level. Yeah, his 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 um his thetan levels. Yeah. So I would say overall, 
Um, I like Control Group. I think it offers some some different stuff, which is nice, and I think it would would it would make a good kind of intro mini campaign to get people into. I it. would say uh, I like three out of these. I like three out of the four scenarios in here, and like even the one that I don't like, I said that I hate it. It's not that bad. I just wouldn't run it, and I just don't think it's that. Um, like I I'm I'm kind of a fascist about like you know was this session well spent. You know, did I make my, my good use of my four hours? And I think that three out of these four scenarios passed that test. So I, I, I think, well, I guess in your guys' minds, what is the archetypical uh, way that a, a player character like becomes part of Delta Green, joins Delta Green? How does that, what does that look like generally? There's a term that they use in intelligence uh, called MICE. It uh, refers to an abbreviation for money. <laughs> Ideology. Coercion or compromise. And and ego or extortion. I don't know that that works because then I think extortion is redundant with the C. Well, here's the thing. Ego or extortion depends on the source and compromise or coercion depends on the source. So it it's a thing where it varies depending on who you ask. I agree with you that compromise slash coercion slash extortion are all pretty much the same thing. So I would go with money, ideology, uh, coercion, and ego. But anyway, um, the archetypal way that I reach to for this character as a member of Delta Green is they were on the ground when an outbreak happened and they survived and didn't lose their minds. And yeah, basically that's it. And maybe they got like pulled into a room and spoken to by some high level guy who said, there's a secret program, and if you want to know more, you can sign here, but you can't talk about it, that kind of thing? Uh, not in so many words, but yeah. I got you. See bad thing, stop bad thing, don't talk about bad thing, be approached by someone about bad thing. Now, I'm stuck fighting bad things. It's pretty close to the way that recruitment reads in the Handler's Guide. This has come up a couple times. Uh, players new to Delta Green who are making a, a new character... And either want to buck the trend or you haven't been through the recruitment themselves yet. So there's got to be other ways that players join the organization. So what are some other ways players join the organization? That's a good question. You know, I wish that information was in the source book that's designed for players. Yeah, um, it's it was definitely a smart decision of them to take the standing orders, the recruitment process, uh, take everything and all that stuff and scatter it across documents that are not player facing. Really, really gets the noggin jogging. Really makes you think. The standing orders are in Night of the Opera now, but yeah. But you know, um, in lieu of more Detwiller rock throwing, which I'm sure you guys know that I can't get enough of. I think I think that's a Shane Ivy rock throw. Okay, actually. well, um, I think Kevin that there's a bunch of ways you can do it. One of the ones that I like is rather than discovering um, evidence of the unnatural, it's someone who discovers evidence of Delta Green activity. So it's the uh, Department of Justice, obviously the Inspector General guy who gets called in to investigate federal agents who have been misbehaving for some reason, or it's the uh, the nurse, the nurse practitioner, registered nurse who get, who finds his grandpa's uh, old notes from WW two. To just those are just two examples I have for my characters. Oh, the uh, the forensic accountant who notices that there's budgetary problems missing or things were allocated for something else. Delta Green related. I was thinking about. Uh, I'm still. I'm still trying to write a scenario that revolves around media specialists, and I thought an interesting twist on the normal would be uh, a, a media personality who basically stumbles, stumbles upon the conspiracy, gets it completely right, and is asking all the right questions. And somebody has to frantically track the person down to be like, "All right, you're right, but you can't talk about this anymore, and here's why." 
So it's similar to the normal recruitment, but he gets kind of turned on his head by how you're how you're found. That's that's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a similar idea. It's a guy who um, gets who stumbles on delta green activity rather than unnatural activity. Or it could be unnatural, and they're gonna break the story, and the program's like, "Hey, please don't." Or you got a picture like the, you know they're coming up with this crazy conspiracy, and everyone is like, "All right, buddy, you crackpot." But somebody in Delta Green is like, holy shit, they're 100% right. They're exactly accurate with what's really happening. Like, we need to put a lid on this for somebody who's supposed to believe it. I also think an interesting thing could be somebody who researches the occult um, and potentially, you know, flirts with the dark side a little bit. You know, learns some rituals, learns some, some hypergeometry, does some bad shit. And instead of being just straight up iced by Delta Green, uh, is recruited or turned or realized the error of their ways, that kind of thing could be kind of interesting as long as you stay away from the drizzit trope who drizzit he's a stupid drow that everybody loves in dungeons and dragons and everybody wants to play the cool character with two swords and a panther okay he's a dra- drows right are they like the the cave elves yeah okay but he's, what's wrong he's, with, what's wrong with he's him especially because he's a good guy even though all the drow are bad and he's a unique he's like the most mary sue dungeons and dragons character why would why would i want to play a good guy but um more to the point um, this idea of playing a bad guy is is a rich it's a rich vein to mine because think about um, one of the archetypes I really like is the criminal who gets caught doing unnatural stuff but like uh, you know the guy the guy who who tries to steal from the wrong um, the wrong you know boat or whatever but uh, for whatever reason rather than uh, being murdered by Delta Green is judged to have sufficiently valuable abilities that he'd be better off working for them in exchange for not being killed or prosecuted. That's an, you've hit on an interesting concept there that the Delta green character who is only in it for the money, like he's got such good skills and he's in it. He's so needed for his, you know, whatever he has his ritual knowledge or his, you know, whatever, uh, that the program just straight pays him to do the shit they need to get done. And he could just care less. That'd be interesting. That's not quite what I'm suggesting. It's, I, and I I don't I don't know what a character who was in Delta Green for the money would look like. No, I, not me either. But it makes it. I, I'm interested to explore that and see if I came up with a viable character. The concept. only way I could see it working is somebody would say to the agent, "Look, I'm going to level with you. We're not nearly as big or as well funded as as we like to pe- as as we like you guys to think that we are. Here is what we can I can spare from the operations budget. Well, it would be more. It would, I think it would be less that and more like. The guy says, oh, we're not very big or well-funded, and the other guy says, that's never been a problem for me before, and so he's um, skimming things that he's not supposed to be taking for most of the operation. Yeah, yeah, or the team goes in and kills, like, kills ten ghouls, and he's like, all right, give me five minutes to get some of this, you know, super rare ghoul blood to sell, because it's mine now. Yeah, or, like, Deep deep One Gold, uh, Bricks of Chocho Heroin. I mean, Deep One Gold and Chocho Heroin, that's one thing. Uh, ghoul Blood, I feel like if you, if an agent goes selling that, that's that's a fast track to becoming a Delta Green mission. Well, here's the thing. You're not you're not telling them. Or he's just got to be such a useful asset that they're like, all right, whatever. Just keep... That they look the other way, yeah, or he has to be yeah, so exactly. good that they never find out. If Delta Green killed everyone that weaponized the unnatural, they would kill themselves. I mean... And they did. And look how it turned out. They would only kill Majestic in that case. But Kevin... They they would only kill March Technologies, but Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've got uh this one one thing that I did uh, I discussed this a bit in the shotgun scenario segment, which did air, so I can refer back to it. Is that I had this idea of a group of convicts who is basically paroled by Delta Green, or you know their convictions are overturned or whatever, and 
the program says to them, we're going to get you out, we're going to get you jobs, you're going to keep your mouth shut, and the next time we ask you to do something, you cannot refuse. That reminds me of a scenario a friend of mine had, and uh, Jake and Will, you've heard this before, but all the characters are like in a Soviet gulag, like in a big mine in some like Siberia somewhere, and there's some sort of horrible creature, you know, killing miners and whatnot, so... They band together and, you know, form this alliance because they want to survive, but they have really have no choice because they're still stuck in this, you know, horrible Soviet gulag. Like the wind state is probably just not dying another day. Didn't like that movie. I think you're hitting on something that um, I do worry about with, and, and maybe this is where the, the reluctance to have coercion as a motivation comes from, is that I don't necessarily want um, the players to be viewing the the case officer is someone they constantly have to buck or fight back against. We all know where that leads. Uh, I think that it's the player's responsibility to go into those situations with, you know, a desire to complete the operation. And if they're creating characters or if the GM is putting them in situations where they are in an adversarial relationship with Delta Green from the start, that's something that can develop over time with the group. But if they're in that relationship from the start, then it's, I think, not going to go so well. And I remember hearing, I remember people were talking about this, about how, um, there were all these sorts of ways that you could start the game by, you know, players do are not initiated into the deep mysteries. They go and they do an operation, and then afterwards, DG tries to read them in. And the way that people seem tend to frame that is with, like, threats against family, um, you know, like, legal stuff. I've never read it that yeah, way, me, and me I don't either. understand why people keep... Okay, well, this is another case where I've y'all seen, no, I, I've, I've seen people... deny that the things that I see are real. I've seen people interpret it that way. I've I have I certainly haven't gotten the impression that that is the no. Default. That's not the that's absolutely not the intended way. But it's certainly something that I've seen people talk about. And the the response I always give to that is, if you're running with someone who's never played the game before, they're going to assume that the conspiracy threatening them or the the people they're supposed to be fighting, they're going to think they're in Knights Black agents and that the vampires are trying to buy them. I off. guess what I'm trying to say is I have also seen people who have come to that conclusion, and I honestly don't know where it's coming from. Well, here's the thing: is that there's a a section in handler's book that's sort of like that but i don't think that that's what people are referring to either anyway uh tom you just got back and by that i mean you've been here the whole time um what do you think about the possibility of delta green agents being motivated by any of the following money ideology compromise or ego there's a compromise here where you said compromise instead of coercion well here's the thing i do what you say and you get you know, you tell me, why don't you do the other thing? I do the other thing, and you say, why don't you do what I say? It's because I exist to give you a hard time. Well, it's nice to know that some people are at least open to admitting that. You, when someone else throws rocks, you can't get upset. Hey, my glass house has already been smashed to pieces. I can throw rocks to whoever I want. Uh, I would imagine for Delta Green Agent, the desired motivation would be in from most important to least important. Ideology, ego, coercion, money. Because you want someone who has an intrinsic motivation to go after this stuff and to get themselves out of bed and put themselves in danger over and over again for some intangible reward only they can give themselves. Because at the one hand, you want someone who's really driven to do the right thing and who wants to keep this secret, who accepts the, the noblest ideals you provide them with. And on the other hand, if somebody wants a bag of money to go out and fight supernatural evil then how do you know it's not going to be an even bigger bag of money next time or how do you know they're not going to take bags of money to give this stuff from somebody else it really is just like espionage in any other way that's that's really good so uh what sort of ideologies do you see 
uh, PCs that join Delta Green as having, or, or what are some good ideologies for your player character? Patriotism is an obvious one. I would say general compassion and just wanting to protect people is another good one. Sure. Like sheep sheepdogness is something you see a lot with like American law enforcement and that's that's probably something Delta Green would uh, value as what well. What is that? What is the meaning of this? Well, you know, like the the sheepdog protects the 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 herd of sheep from the wolf even though he looks kind of like the wolf sometimes. I mean, it's it's got a negative connotation, so I mean... It does. Well, so so I don't know what negative connotation you're referring to. Usually when I've seen sheepdogs, their most common behavior that I see from them is that they get really upset if anyone walks in front of them when they're on a walk. So they'll always try to herd people, and it's like not terrible, but really obnoxious. Hey, I'm just giving you the perspective from this side of the thin blue line, man. No, I understand <laughs> that, but I'm just saying that that metaphor creates a different impression in my mind because of my preconceived experiences about dogs with sheepdog heritage. No, the, the meme is that the... The sheepdog. People don't like the sheepdog because he looks too much like the wolf until the sheep are under attack by the wolf. Oh. And also that all non-law enforcement officers are sheep. And they are the, they are the ubermensch who will protect us from the bad wolves who are the immigrants. No, I think there's absolutely a grain of truth in that. A, a liberal is a conservative who's been sent to prison and a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged. Oof. I mean, so it's <laughs> Anyways. Like, like patriotism I think is, a, is a good thing. Jingoism is like the sheepdog. Of patriotism. I think you're like two or three metaphors, like in the whole. I hole. think so too. Yeah. Anyways, uh, ideologies that are good for play characters. So the, the the desire the desire to defend other people from bad things yes. is what you're saying. Yeah. That's good. That's a good one. That's probably why, among other things, a lot of them come from law enforcement. And I think you know another good one is just like no get the truth. You know the um, yeah, that's certainly a good one for scientists and anthropologists. Like a scientific discovery, curiosity. Yeah, thing, I mean, I, I can't remember. I can't remember which one is which. Those ones are always the hardest ones, though, for me to justify narratively, because Delta Green is a game where that stuff is bad. Yeah, look at what they did to Fox Mulder all the time. Well, I think to your point, Melon, that's supposed to be like uh, this was in the beta rules of the game, and they kind of de-emphasized it in. The final copy of the handler, uh, the agent's handbook, excuse me. But there's supposed to be two parts to that. It's why did Delta Green invite you to join them and why did you accept? So scientific curiosity might be why you accepted it, but what are you bringing to the table that Delta Green wants in on, considering the risk that you might learn too much and become a wizard? That's good. Uh, what other... Uh ideologies so in in the uh the handler's book it goes more a little bit more into detail and you don't need the handler's book for this you can just sort of intuit it in the handler's book goes into a little a little bit of detail about how the cowboys actually don't know anything about the unnatural besides what each individual one has personally experienced and so in that one oh i love it this. mentions that a lot of them actually believe that the like cthulhu is a demon and that god wants them maybe not maybe not that god wants them but that like the unnatural is demonic forces of absolute evil that are intruding into this world and it's their responsibility to keep them out so there's an another thing kind of similar to that where you know they might think that it's a demon or they might think that it's an alien and like that your agent will only have a limited perspective of of what they've seen you know so to some agents like uh like take uh force james like the director uh, to him, Delta Green was all about killing those fucking fish people, right? But to someone else, it might be that, whoa, man, there's like aliens coming down from the sky. We have to, you know, stand on guard against the aliens. So it's it's limited as to uh, as to what your player character has been exposed to. 
it's naturally going to be compartmentalized because it's not like when you get read in, they hand you the encyclopedia of, of evil things. And I'm like, you can come run, you can run into all these things. So it's definitely going to be tinted through the lens of that, uh, of your own experiences and, and your partner's experiences. The briefing documents have that uh, quick fire character creation thing on there about what, what you might have seen. I think that unnatural things are part of that quick fire method. So money's, money's off the table. Ideology is good. Uh, ego's all right. I mentioned compromise earlier and how that can be a pitfall because it basically sets up this adversarial relationship that can fuck with the handler's ability to actually run the game if the players are constantly looking for ways to buck the case officer. But if that's what you want your game to be about, then it can be pretty good. If you want your game to be about a guy who is who is under Delta Green's thumb and wants to get out and finds ways to get out, then that could be a great storytelling beat. That could be, um, but you just have to manage expectations there. But uh, if that's the sort of, you know, cat and mouse uh, handler versus player who wants to get out, and you can set that up and you can write scenarios for that, that's cool. And the handler's guide also has uh, the sort of, uh, there's some suggestions in there about, you know, what to do if agents start acting up, like, you know, the one where they, they uh, you mentioned this when you talk kind of like about winter pepper. The, the different ways that people can mess with your mind or the, how the, the government agency would break into their houses and alter things. In the handler's guide, it's like uh, you get a text and it says, hey, check behind the fridge. And there's a USB drive loaded with, you know, God knows what. And uh, and they say, well, think of that. that You know, there's one there. How many more could there be in your house? Didn't we use that bit in I an episode? I think we might have. Uh, we used it in the, I think we used it in the episode about how, um, the Sunspot Observatory guy has got in some trouble for some stuff. Oh, yeah, Operation Sunspot Pedophile. Discu- yeah, it, it might have been that, or it might have been a discussion of um, discussion of recruitment of characters. We already did recruitment! Why are we talking about motivations? I mean, this wasn't about motivations, but it is now. All right. Uh, so, um, compromise, potentially good, but fraught with peril. How is e- What is ego? What is the ego? Like, uh, how, how does that e- work? Ego is like, I'm the only one that can do this. I do it because I'm the best su- suited for it. Yeah, or it's I like do this flattery. It it's like awesome. you turn uh, in actual espionage. It would be like you turn somebody on the inside by telling them your superiors don't appreciate you. If you help us overthrow your bosses, we'll make you the new boss afterwards. Stuff like that, like really playing to someone's sense of entitlement and their frustrations so that's that's good and i but when i think about that i think of um one of the things that aristotle said when he talked about the virtues i think it was in it might have been nicomachean ethics i don't remember which one it was he said that every virtue has a version of itself that's um an excess and a version of itself that's not enough of it and so all of the motivations that delta green or that espionage guy might appeal to are motivations that could in excess go and cause further problems so Coercion, obviously, you push someone too hard, they're going to buck you and they're going to find a way to get back at you. Money, if someone is doing it for money, they might get a better offer somewhere, or they might start skimming, they might start selling things. But I was thinking about ego and ideology, and one of the most common themes in Delta Green is that the characters start going too far and doing things. So, like, Oaks and uh, Forrest James invented a plan to kill all the Deep One babies by sending death squads to nurseries, and... There's other various cases in the fiction, I believe, but also in the scenarios of agents that have gone a bit too excited about the prospect of fighting wizards and so on. 
but I'm thinking of one of the previews for the Labyrinth, where it mentions you have an opportunity to recruit an NPC into Delta Green. And at first, he's a great asset. But as time goes on, he gets really, really intense about it. And he decides that some of his pre-existing enemies, who he had made before his recruitment, are obviously part of this occult conspiracy. And that's how he justifies completely going apeshit on them. And suddenly you have a situation that you need to contain very quickly. I'm just reading over the uh, the mice framework here just to refresh my memory. Um, in the context of Delta Green, well, actually in the context of espionage in general, ego seems like it would be difficult to separate from ideology as far as like patriotism. Uh, although I guess somebody could join Delta Green not because they want to, you know, uh, serve their country, but because it makes them feel like a fucking super, like it makes them feel like somebody important, you know, like um, a paper pusher or something in the U.S. Marshal's office who never gets to do any field work and, and stumbles onto something, gets recruited, all of a sudden he gets to go out and, you know, do something important for a change. He's not doing it because he wants to serve his country. He's doing it because it makes him it makes him feel more important, even though he's risking his life. That one would be probably more applicable the more boring and mundane the agent's day job is. I, I'm thinking about it, and, and this... The one thing that we want... The one, the one thing that I've been thinking of that, that, that hasn't come up is, or, or, but it just did with what you said there, and maybe it's come up earlier and I missed it, is the desire for a more interesting, because like we we have this we have this idea that the unnatural is really really bad and you don't want to be exposed to it more than necessary. But if I think about the way that um, most of these stories work that are not set in you know these mythos type universes, when someone gets exposed to this hidden world, they want more of it. They want to see more wizards and more elves and gnomes and magic and aliens. Because that stuff's really cool. And so that is part of this motivation, I have to assume, is that someone wants to be a part of the secret world and they want to have that be part of that Gnostic elite that knows the true inner workings of the wizard shit. I think there's definitely part of wanting to be a member of the Illuminati, like being able to see behind the curtain... And having having a secret, having access to information and power no one else does. But I think that's that might be a step separated from magic is really cool and I want to be able to do magic. Like, I'm sure for a lot of people those are synonymous, but I don't think they necessarily have to be. Yeah, I think if you're, like, if you work for the USDA and you've been stationed in Nebraska for 10 years and all you do is count corn bushels, I think you'll take any excuse to have your life be more interesting. I think that's valid. Bushels of corn? I think it's still bushels. That's all we have for you this week. In the description of this episode, you'll find a link to the Night of the Opera Discord server and to our social media pages, including our Twitter feed, at 9mmretirement. Tweet us with your experiences playing Control Group, or tell us what motivates your Delta Green agents. Thanks for listening to episode 25 of The Green Box. We'll be in touch.